it's a real privilege as well as responsibility just to share uh, the word with you tonight. Could you have the microphone down a little bit? I'm booming in my own ears. Um, I'm actually quite shy, you know, so I don't like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. I love you too. Okay. Over the past few weeks, we've been doing a, uh, a series, as Phil mentioned, called Occupants of the House. And in the whole series, we realize and we understand that the church is not the building. There are many churches around this country that are bricks and mortar, they've got steeples. That is not the church. The church is sat right here. Because the church is you. All of you people who turn up and occupy a seat tonight, you are part of the church. So whether you're occupying a seat in the charity shop, that is still church. Whether you're occupying a seat down at the Bosworth Street on Connect Night, that's still a church. And when we go bowling in a few weeks' time, guess what? That is still church, because it's the people of God come together. So church is much more than just bricks and mortar. And of course, as, as God is building his church, there are occupants of the house, this house, that are welcome. And there are occupants of the house that are not welcome. They want to leave them at the door. And we've just heard in the past few weeks, uh, that prayer is an occupant of this house. If you want to give this house a name, let's call it Arena House. But the occupant of this house that is very welcome is prayer. Phil was speaking last week about purity. Purity is a very welcome occupant of this house. And what purity helps us deal with, as Phil was mentioning last week, is religion. We don't want religion in the house. That is unwelcome. We don't want the intruder of rejection in this house. Rejection is unwelcome. The Jesus I believe in was entirely welcoming. Not one single person was not welcome if they came to Jesus. He was always welcoming. Control. We don't want a church of control. Control is an unwelcome guest, as is offence. Perhaps it's a local saying, but these sort of things need given short shrift. They are unwelcome in our house. And Phil mentioned he had a, a, an intruder in his house in Oxford, a burglar. They were unwelcome. They were uninvited. And they intruded in the house. But tonight I want to talk about an occupant of the house we want to welcome, and that is purpose. Purpose is something we really need in the church. Maybe you've got a business organization. You need purpose in your business organization. And it's quite clear to see as we look around the towns what happens when churches don't have purpose. Let me explain what purpose is. If you understand uh, sailing and boats, the purpose is the rudder. Because the sails can fill with wind to move the boat in our, di- in our direction, but until the captain applies the rudder, the boat has no purpose. For those of you from Africa, and I, I forgot you were coming tonight, so a lion stalking his prey has purpose. In fact, there is a sound in the bush uh, in Africa that if you hear the lion, it doesn't necessarily a roar, it's more of a groan, you know the hungry lion is nearby. And a hungry lion certainly has a purpose. And those of you who have seen the wildlife programs, you know how that purpose usually ends up. So sorry for any vegetarians in the house this morning, this, this evening. You put your post, a postcode into a sat-nav. I know Phil loves sat-navs, but you put a postcode into a sat-nav. That is purpose, because you're giving yourself a direction to go to. See, purpose is, is intention. Purpose is never satisfied with the status quo. Purpose never settles for second best. Purpose is restless. Purpose should never be content. Because if you're content, you've got no purpose. You're resting. 
But purpose, never static. There's no reverse gear in purpose. Purpose is always going forwards. The opposite of purpose, meaningless. If you know people who don't have any purpose, they say, I've got no meaning to my life. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Let me rephrase that. Where there is no divine purpose, people just stumble around. See, there's no purpose. There's nothing driving them forward. And I've seen recently some churches without purpose. And they've got big signs outside of them. Guess what they're saying? Well, one says, AJ's Carpets. Another one says, Chinese Restaurant. And that's a real shame. I was in Derby a couple of, couple of years ago having a Chinese meal in this huge church. What's the problem? It's a real shame in one sense, but the church had lost its purpose and it closed down and it became a buffet Chinese restaurant. And the food was okay, but it was a real shame that the church had lost its purpose. I'm just really struck by that. If you look through the Bible, there's lots of expressions of purpose. We'll go through them in a minute. And the one I'm going to look at is from Genesis chapter 22, a very well-known story. I will give the, uh, the outline in a second, but Abraham had a purpose. He was asked by God to do something, he had a purpose. It says in the New Testament that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. It says in John that Jesus had to go through Samaria. See, Jesus didn't have any coincidences. The Bible says in John chapter 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had a purpose. There was somebody he wanted to meet that he knew if he hit Samaria at a certain time, he would meet this person. That is purpose, that Jesus knew exactly where he was going. He said, later in the same chapter, my food is to do the will of the Father. His purpose was entirely wrapped up in doing what God had asked him to do. And i ask you a question tonight. Do you have a purpose in your life? Do you have a purpose for even being here tonight? Or what is that purpose? Let's take a look at that story in Genesis chapter 22. I'm, going to, I'm just going to paraphrase it for, for time's sake. But Abraham, the great patriarch of the Bible, it says from verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. See, purpose is premeditated. You don't just wake up this morning and decide you're going to have a purpose. It is something you think about. It's something you consider. It's a pathway. When you put your postcode into a sat-nav, you are declaring a premeditation of purpose. You say, I want to get from Mansfield to Barrow and Furnace. You need a purpose. You have to put in your location. And I'm saying that because I'm in Barrow and Furnace this week, so I probably will need my sat-nav for part of the journey. It's premeditated. And Abraham got a call from God to sacrifice Isaac. The first thing I noticed is Abraham was listening. Because God said, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. And what we all need in our lives is when God speaks, that we have our ears open to listen to what God has to say. It was a specific instruction. He says, take Isaac. It was a specific location. Take him to Moriah. I'm going to show you a place. It was a test. And I don't know, looking at this story, what the entire reason was until you get to the end of the story for God giving that instruction, those specifics. But here's some suggestions. 
If this story is about obedience to God's voice, then we could stop right here. That's good enough for me. If God says it, I want to do it. Is it about faith? Is it about putting that, that hope and that trust in God? Well, that's good enough as well. And we're in a church today that just wants to obey the voice of God. I don't want to be part of a church that does not listen to God's voice. I really don't. I don't want to waste my time in a church that does not have faith to believe what God says. Genesis said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You see, a church that doesn't without a purpose is just meandering. It's just wasting its time. I've got to be honest, it's a club. But a church with a purpose has a premeditation, has an intention of what it's going to do. Secondly, in verse 3, we find that early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. You see, purpose generates provision. If you've got an organization with purpose, then you need to supply that, that organization. If you've got a, a project like the uh, Mukuni village, you've got a purpose for being there, you need to provide for that village. Wherever that provision comes from, you need to generate that provision. And purpose does that. Without purpose, well, there's no need to work, is there? There's no need to do anything because there is no purpose. So Abram took servants. He took wood. He took his, his tinderbox or his flint ready to make the fire. He took his knife and he set out. But did Abraham know what the end of the story was? No, he didn't. He had no idea what was going on. He'd heard God's promises. He'd heard God's instruction to go and take Isaac. But he still set out anyway. And I've got to be honest with you. I don't know what the end of the story over the next few days, months, weeks, years is going to be. But I know somebody who does. And he's put a purpose in my heart that I just want to serve his purpose in my generation. I'm standing here today because I've got a purpose in God. I don't want to meander. Purpose utilizes the past. Let me say this very carefully. Abraham set out very early, but God hadn't said, sacrifice Isaac on your doorstep. He said, take your son Isaac to a place I'm going to show you. And the Bible tells us it was three days into the journey when finally they spotted the hill. Three days. What's going on during those three days? Now, there's been occasion when I've used my sat-nav, and I've put the route in, because I know pretty much where I'm going, that I ignore the sat-nav. Now, because it's sat-nav, and there's a liability of sat-nav for it to take you the wrong way, that's okay. Anybody here use sat-nav occasionally, and found yourself in a dead end that you did not want to be, despite the fact you input everything correctly? That's because you, you trust the sat-nav. I've got to say, God is not like a sat-nav. Because God has got no intention of leading you up a blind alley. You see, when God puts his purpose on your life, it is for a reason. It's not to meander. It's not to waste your time. So Abraham had three days to wonder, what is God doing? He could look at the past. See, what was Isaac? Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac was the son that Abraham had when he was 100 years old, after waiting years and years and years for God to fulfill the promise about him having a son. He had to wait a long time. Isaac was son of promise. Now suddenly, God is saying, go and sacrifice him. Go and kill him on an altar of stone and, and burn him for me. That seems really weird, doesn't it? 
But Abraham said yes. Why did he say yes? Because as he walked down this road, he could see every single step. His journey was taking him past Hebron. What's so special about Hebron? Well, it's at Hebron that God said, I will bless you and your generations will be like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the shore. If any could even count, that's how many descendants you're going to have. He walked past Hebron. He would have walked past Salem where he went Melchizedek and he gave Melchizedek a tenth of his takings from the battle. All these places have got altars that remind Abraham of times in his life when God has stepped in. He left his home behind. His home reminded him of the times he'd taken it upon his own route. He'd started to take things into his own hands. How many people have done that? I know I have. God's spoken to me direct, but yet I thought, well, actually, I know a little bit better than God. I'll try this. Abraham went to Egypt. And because his wife was beautiful, he was afraid, he told the Pharaoh, it's my sister. It wasn't. He took things into his own hands. He slept with Hagar and had Ishmael. Why? Because he took things into his own hands. That's not God's purpose. That was Abraham's purpose. And on this journey, Abraham could look every single step he took. I could see where God blessed me then. I could see where I made a mess up then. But this is the route I'm taking now. The past is there. It's gone. You can't live it again. Whatever you did yesterday, whether it was good or whether it's bad, it's gone. You cannot repeat yesterday. And this is what Abraham found as he walked every single step of that journey. You see, Abraham knew what it was like to have victories. Abraham knew what it was like to make deals with kings. And I believe in this day and this time of arena, there's going to be times when the authorities are going to be looking to arena for answers. There's going to be times when local councils are saying, as they already are with the food bank, can you help us? We know that you're doing a good thing in the arena. Why? We've got purpose. There's going to be deals with kings. On my car, it might, might surprise this, uh, I've got rearview mirrors, and I actually use them. Is that a surprise? I don't know anyone who's ever driven behind me could actually prove that, but I, I've used them. Rearview mirrors are great because they can show me what is behind before I make a manoeuvre. They can show me any hazard I can just see behind me. However, if I was to look in my rearview mirrors all of the time, what would happen? It would be deadly, wouldn't it? Not just a crash. It would be deadly because I'd be spending all my time looking back. But yet, as Christians, how many times we spend all of our time looking behind us? At yesterday's blessing, at last year's blessing, at 10 years ago, 50 years ago, but yet God's call is to move forward with purpose. The rearview mirrors are good, but they can't help you going forward. Purpose is persistent. Now, on some sat navs, it's not mine, I don't use this, it will give you an alternate. Say you've got a traffic jam ahead of you, you can tell your sat nav, and it will give you an alternate route. Guess what? Abraham sat nav. He had to drive straight through the trouble. There was no avoiding the burden ahead. There was no avoiding that command from God, take your son Isaac. He had to keep on moving. He had to keep on moving through. What was Abraham's test? Abraham's test was to take the thing that he found dearest. The thing he'd waited decades for to achieve, to occur in his life. God said, right, give it up. I want you to give it up. And as I was looking at this this, this, this past couple of weeks and, and just uh, spending time with this word, I thought, what is it could I give up? 
What is it maybe that God is looking at me to give up? I've got, I've got my kids. I love my kids. I love my wife. And then God starts to dig a bit, di- bit deeper. Yeah, but Andy, what do you really find precious? What is it you really like to hold on to? And I'm starting to realize it's my will. Submission doesn't come easy to me. I like my autonomy. But maybe God's saying to me, Andy, just let it go. Let it go. Maybe you've got something in your life that you really don't want to let go. You find it precious. It could be a family member. It could be a character trait that you actually, you quite enjoy that character trait. But God says, let it go. Let me use it. Release it and see what will happen. And that's a challenge to all of us today. Is that something we're holding on to? That's actually a hindrance to God's purpose in our life. Maybe it's a habit you know is destructive. Let it go. Maybe it's somebody who's quite legitimately lovely. A pursuit that's very, very beneficial. But when it takes over, when it becomes a blockage or an obstacle to God's purpose, you've got to let it go. You've really got to let it go. I remember as a teenager, I love music. I always have done. Uh, For as long as I can remember, I've loved listening to music. And as a teenager, I had hundreds of cassettes. Yeah, cassettes, you know, I am... Not totally CD, but I had cassettes in my bedroom. And I would spend all of my time listening to these cassettes. And one day God said to me, Andy, is it the music you love or is it me? And I just felt so convicted. I felt God say, for Andy, you have two weeks. Two weeks, you don't listen to any of your cassettes. And I'm not saying music is bad, absolutely not. But there's a period in my life where that thing had become an obstacle in what God was doing in my life. And I had to give it up. It wasn't easy. It was two weeks without my favorite artists and my favorite bands. But it's something that was in the way of God's purpose. See, persistence comes through. Purpose lives in the present. I don't know what you feel like. I've got kids. And I don't know what I'd feel like if God said to me, all right, Andy, take Morgan and go on a journey with him. And when you get to Snowden, I want you to sacrifice him. Just think about it for a minute, if you've got kids, or if you've got someone that's really, really close to you. The question is, in the present, right now, God is saying, do you trust me? Do you believe everything that's gone in the past, all that you've seen me achieve, and as you look back on your life, you're able to see the times when God has just stepped in and helped you out. You might not have known it at the time. All these things that you've seen in your past, do you trust me? All these things I promised ahead of you, do you still trust me? That's in the present. That's right now. Do you love me? Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked him, Peter, do you love me? And right now, God is asking you a question. Can you trust me in the now? Can you give your life to me for the now? The past is gone. The future's ahead. But it's a now that God is interested in. You know, God is interested in every little thing of your life. There's nothing that escapes his attention, but equally there's nothing that escapes his love. Purpose is perpetual. It goes on, it goes on, it goes on. In verse 14, Jacob had been about to sacrifice his son Isaac in about verse 12, and God realized Jacob was serious. 
Jacob, Abraham. God realized that Abraham was serious and sent an angel to stop his hand. He said, don't kill your son because now I know that you're not even holding back on what is most precious to you. And there in a bush was a ram that Abraham was able to sacrifice. He named the place Jireh, which means God will provide. You see, God's provision wasn't just for that day. God did provide a ram. But Abraham's statement was, on the hill of the Lord, it will be provided. You see, purpose prepares us for a future. Purpose knows that there is a future. And purpose aims for the future. And God, in that moment, when he looked down at Abraham, and his faith and his trust, he saw something. You see, each of us, we live on a 24-hour clock. I've been around for 30-odd years now, not quite 40 years. And I can see that time span. It's taken a long time. It's taken 38 years to get there, nearly 39. But God sees the beginning from the end, just like that. Think of it like a big panoramic view, a big panoramic picture. And God sees the beginning of the earth, and he sees the end of all time, just like that. And when Abraham proved his faith, do you know what God saw? He saw a group of people sat in the Kevin Bird suite on a Sunday evening. He saw you. He saw me. Because of that purpose that God had initiated in Abraham, today was sorted out. This very day, when you're sat, maybe by coincidence, listen to these words. God knew, God knew about it. God saw it coming with Abraham's faith. Think about where they go. They're going to Moriah. I'm just doing some reading this week. I find out it's the site of Solomon's temple, the same place. You see, God saw what was going on. We saw in the story the picture of Isaac carrying the wood, the son carrying the wood for his own sacrifice. Not sure? Jesus carried his own cross up the hill of Calvary. You see, God saw all that. He saw Abraham's faith. See, purpose attracts God's pleasure. If you read from verse 16 of this chapter 22 in Genesis, God rejoices over Abraham. He's actually gushing in his praise of Abraham. This is God. This is the Almighty who deserves all our praise, and yet he gives Abraham his pleasure. He said, because you did not withhold your precious son, your descendants are going to be uncountable. The enemy won't be able to prevent your occupation of his territory. He said he's going to inhabit the enemy's cities. And all the nations on earth are going to feel the benefit of your obedience. What a promise. What a purpose that God initiates through the faith of Abraham. God was pleased. He saw Abraham's commitment every step of that journey that whatever was going to happen, he was going to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to God, even though it was his most precious possession. And God is pleased. And some of us have this picture of God being this uh, huge um, head teacher type with a cane. And the moment you do wrong, wallop, that cane comes down on the back of your legs and it does sting. But the God I worship is not a God like that. See, the God I worship loves me so much that thousands of year ago, years ago, on a hill in Palestine, he said, on the hill of the Lord, on a simple hill, I will provide. And God provided a way for me 
to have my relationship restored with him. I don't have to wander around meaningless. I don't have to meander through life. I can have a purpose because of what went on here. And God is pleased. God is pleased to call me a friend, the Bible says. God is pleased to call me a son. And everything that God has, all the might, all the power, all the wealth, it's mine. It's yours. That eternity that God lives in, it's yours. It's purpose. And I believe that the church we're in today, arena, really exists for a purpose. Those of you who might have been in arena just a few weeks or a few months, some of you have been in with arena for years and seen the journey that's gone on. See, arena hasn't happened overnight. It's been 80 years in the making. Things don't happen like that. There's purpose, and God has a purpose. I'm convinced that Arena's purpose is not to become a Chinese restaurant, although we do serve food. Arena's purpose is to reach out to the community, to bring hope, to inspire passion, to do the impossible. And as I close, I want to close with the final few verses of this particular passage. That Abraham, it says, went back to Beersheba with his servants. Why am I closing there with that? Beersheba means the well of the oath or the well of the promise. And Abraham took his servants back to a point he knew he'd heard the promise. And tonight I want to challenge you. I want to ask you, do you need to go back to a time when you promised God everything? Maybe tonight will be the first time you promised God everything. But God will give you purpose. Maybe you said once to God, here I am, wholly available. Then like me, you've, on, you've held on to your will. So you're not wholly available. The Lord's Prayer says, your will be done. On earth, as it, in heaven, as it is in heaven. That's purpose. And purpose is something we need in every single church in this land. Not just arena. But every single church needs purpose. And hopefully just through these few simple words, something of the Bible, something of Abraham's faith will just permeate through yourself. As you approach this week, what is it that I can do to get some purpose from you, Lord? Let's just uh, pray. Now, I don't know every heart here tonight.